Well, here we are in the middle of May with Memorial Day approaching, the time of year when we typically are seeing graduations and beginning to go on vacations. But nothing this year is the way it's supposed to be or the way it used to be, is it? A few years ago, my family took a trip to Disney World, and our trip to the happiest place on earth didn't have the storybook ending that we were expecting. On our last day, we had to get back to our home because we had a dog sitter that couldn't stay into the next morning. But we also had an extra full day at the park, and, well, I like to get my money's worth. I'm a cheapskate. So I made a plan to stay all day and drive through the night. We spend a lot of our lives living as if it is all going to work out according to our plans, don't we? And a lot of times it does, but more often than we'd care to admit, things beyond our control get in the way and things don't go as we planned, like everything we had planned this year. So what do we do? And maybe we can ask, what is God up to when that happens? These are fair questions. Now, obviously, for all of us right now, coronavirus fits that bill. But it could be any other thing, any other year. People experience coronavirus-level problems on an individual level every day. The fact of the matter is, we don't have as much control as we like to think we do. And every once in a while, something will come along in life to remind us of that. Only this time, something came along to remind us all of that, all at the same time. It can cost us the experiences that we were hoping to have, walking across the stage to receive the well-earned diploma or degree, or celebrating a momentous birthday, experiencing the trip of a lifetime, or just a yearning for the way things used to be and for the way that we feel like they're supposed to be. So back to our vacation to Disney World, I had unilaterally decided that our family would spend the entire last day at the park, watch the fireworks when it closed, and then I would make the eight-hour drive home through the night, a storybook ending to our foray into the happiest place on earth. That was the way it was supposed to be. But believe it or not, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a week of little sleep combined with a week of sugar-filled 10-mile walks around Disney World do not add up to a storybook ending. Our poor, sugared-up, exhausted preschoolers had been pushed too far. Things had, had unraveled completely by dinnertime, devolving into full scene mode, and we made the decision that it was time to leave. So by the time we got our things together and headed towards the exit of the park, I was fuming mad. Walking out of the happiest place on earth, two crying children in tow, I said the most dad thing I ever could have. Take a look around, girls. This is your last memory of Disney World. I hope you like it. It was not my finest moment. My plans had derailed. I wanted us to have a storybook ending to our trip to Disney World, the kind of day that you see in all of their commercials. But this, this sort of thing seems to be a rite of passage in this path called life, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. What story in culture isn't ultimately a story about someone overcoming unplanned happenings? There's a reason why fairy tales end with they lived happily ever after, because that's the boring part. The adventure, the part that's worth telling, is the part about overcoming obstacles and, and living to tell about them. Those are the stories that we sit on the edge of our seat to hear. Believe it or not, the more we read the Bible, the more we find that it isn't a storybook. It doesn't promise easy life for those who follow. It's full of all of life's pitfalls and full of people who live through them as well. In that way, it's raw and real, 
just as the life you and I live today is. But it's easy to miss this because we know the end of the story. We underestimate the pitfalls that the people in the Bible experienced along the way. The most major one about life not turning out the way they all planned is what's called the exile. Everything in the Old Testament up to that point is about trying to get things back to the way they used to be, back to the way they were in the Garden of Eden. So the people are rescued from slavery, they're given a land, and they establish a kingdom. This is it. The plan is working, except it isn't. Everything begins to fall apart before it even gets started. First, the kingdom splits into two. Then the northern kingdom is carried away into exile by the Assyrians. And later, the southern kingdom, all that remains to execute the plan, they're carried away as well into exile by the Babylonians. Everything that's been done is now undone. And they find themselves back where they started, in captivity in a foreign land. To this point, there's more written in and around the exile than any of the other major events in the Bible. All of the prophetic writings deal with life before, during, and after the exile, not to mention the many psalms and historical writings that cover it. If we could sum up their words in a thought, it would be this. What just happened? This was supposed to be the way to make everything right again to make everything the way it's supposed to be. Have you ever had everything all lined up and in order and then it just unravels on you and you wonder, well, what now? Then you know on a small scale how this would have felt. And if so, then you're the type of person to whom Jeremiah was writing, particularly when he was writing verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you. We heard this passage read earlier, and it's important to understand that God gave Jeremiah this message to write during the exile. When we share this verse, verse 11, we put it on keychains and coffee cups and wall decorations. We share it at the most celebratory times of life, like graduations and weddings. I mentioned before that this is the time of year when we would normally be celebrating those things. But when this verse was written, there was nothing to celebrate. The plans had gone awry. They were supposed to be in their happiest place on earth, and instead, they were captives in a foreign land. And it was particularly at that moment that God shared this verse. And not to anyone in particular, not to you or to me. It was a plural you. It was for all of them. It would better be translated, I know the plans I have for y'all. We tend to share this verse when life is most bright. But when God shares this verse, it is when life is most bleak. So let's fast forward to another night when God's people thought everything had unraveled. Another passage we read earlier was from John 14. It's Jesus on the night before his crucifixion, sharing to his disciples that he is going to give them peace. Jesus sharing this word at this time would have carried the Jewish conception of peace, which is captured in the word shalom. It doesn't just mean tranquility or the absence of turmoil, 
but it also carries the notion of life being restored to the way it's supposed to be, the way that it should be. Theologian Cornelius Plantinga describes shalom this way, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation and justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. At this point, the people in Jesus' day were in a spot not much different than the people were in Jeremiah's day. Yes, they are back in the land and worship at the temple has resumed, but they are still under the authority of a foreign power. When Jesus mentions peace or shalom, it would have brought two things to mind. One, this sense of shalom and the restoration of things going back to the way they're supposed to be. But the other notion that would have come to mind is the other peace that was everyone in that part of the world was aware of at the time. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, which was accomplished by oppression and the sword. You may have heard before that the Jewish people expected a military ruler as the Messiah, and this is why. They still weren't free. Things weren't fully restored to the way they were supposed to be, the way that they should be. For Jesus to say in this context, Shalom, I leave with you, at least in some minds would be the scene in the movie where someone gives a speech right before going into battle. I am going to make this world right, is what they heard, and overthrowing the Romans is likely what they imagined. But within 24 hours, Jesus would wind up in a tomb in the side of a hill. Everything that they expected from this was turned upside down in no time. This isn't the restoration they were expecting. This is what just happened. So our trip from Disney World didn't get any better. About halfway through our trip home, just after 2 a.m. outside of Atlanta, we blew a tire. I changed the tire, putting on a donut-sized spare, and we got back on the road and made it home around 7 a.m. And as if the day couldn't get any worse, as we pulled into our garage, I noticed a stream of water coming out of one wall of our garage and shooting into the other wall. After our dog sitter had left and before we had arrived, we had sprung a leak. It was an unbelievable turn of events. All I wanted was the end of a trip like they had in the Disney commercials. All I wanted was for everything to be the way it was supposed to be. Which brings us back to Jeremiah 29. If you had said to me at that moment when I pulled into our garage, it's okay, this is part of a greater plan or some nonsense like that, I would have totally unfriended you. But in the middle of everything going wrong, why would God say, I know the plans I have for you? The key is what those plans were. You see, we suffer a bit from a poor translation in our English versions. If you are reading the NIV, which is the text that we use today, and the one that you see on the keychains and the coffee cups, you will see it say that plans are plans to prosper you. Now, we usually take that to mean God is going to bless us financially, as if we are going to spend the rest of our lives like Scrooge McDuck diving into a pile of money. But that's not what it means, because that word that's translated prosper in our Bibles, it's the word shalom. God is saying, I know what's happening. I'm still at work in the world. I know the plans I have for you all. Don't worry. I'm going to make everything right. 
Everything is going to be the way it's supposed to be, the way it should be. If you were a captive in Babylon at this time and you heard this message, you might have thought, this is awesome. What an encouraging word. But in your excitement, you may have missed the part that comes right before that. In verse 10, God says through Jeremiah, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Did you catch that? When 70 years are complete. In other words, you're going to be here for 70 years. Put that on your graduation coffee cup. Happy graduation. I know the plans I have for you. You're going to spend the next 70 years of your life in a place you don't want to be. And I don't know about you, but like most of the original audience of this promise, I can't bank on having another 70 years, which is the point. I know the plans I have for you. You're going to spend the rest of your life in captivity. You will die before you see freedom. You will never see the fruit of this promise. It's kind of depressing. Until we remember that the plan was to give them shalom. And we remember the words of another prophet during the exile, Isaiah, who when describing the coming Messiah in Isaiah 9, calls him mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That word peace, it's shalom, the prince of shalom. Elsewhere in scripture, the evil one is called the prince of this world, but Isaiah calls the Messiah the prince of all being made right in this world. So God's plan was eventually to give them Jesus. And we live on the other side of that. Jesus, after he's resurrected, says to his disciples, peace be with you. Shalom is with you. In other words, the making right of the world starts now. The Apostle Paul calls Jesus' resurrection the reversal of, of death, the first fruits of what is to come. In other words, it's the down payment. There is more to come, and Jesus is the guarantee of that. So that's great. God's plan for them was to eventually make everything the way it's supposed to be, the way that it should be, but it wasn't going to happen in their lifetime, and probably not in ours. We find ourselves in a similar place. Our lifetimes here are give or take about 70 years. This is a sort of exile, a place where not everything is the way it's supposed to be or the way that it should be. And we find ourselves in a season of exile, 70, 70 or so days of staying at home, wearing masks, social distancing. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? Well, Jeremiah gives us that answer too. In chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, he says, This is what the Lord Almighty The God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The message is settle down, live life, and seek the good of the place where you are. Not just seek its good, seek its peace and prosperity. And yep, you guessed it. That's the word shalom again. And if it prospers or finds shalom, you too will prosper or find your own shalom. So what do you do during your time in exile You seek to make everything around you the best it can be, 
the way it should be and is supposed to be. And God will use that process to make you into the way you should be, the way you're supposed to be. You're already doing this in some extent by staying home, by social distancing or wearing masks in public. You're seeking the good of those around you. And God will use that selflessness and other acts like it to do what is really his plan, to make you more into a resemblance of Jesus. A lot of references have been made recently to the movie Groundhog Day. In the movie, Phil Connors gets stuck reliving the same day over and over and over. He remembers everything, but no one else does. The movie never tells us how long he is stuck there, but we live in Huntsville, so you know that there are engineers and scientists who couldn't let that lie. With all that we see Phil do or that is referenced, I saw one person calculate he was there for over eight years. Another said it added up to over 33 years. However long it was, it was a long time. And at first, Phil lives recklessly, doing whatever he wants to do, but he quickly gets bored with that. Then he falls into despair and lives hopelessly. But finally, one day, he begins to find a purpose. He helps a man who ends up dying. And every day he makes it his mission to save that man or make his last day on earth memorable, even though Phil has to do it for every day of his life. This turns into him being on a mission to make life better for everyone around him, day after day after day. He saves other lives, and in the process, he becomes a better person too. He learns how to ice sculpture or play the piano, and it not only enriches his life, but it also enriches the lives of those around him. He uses the process to become the person he needs to be, and he begins seeking the welfare of those around him and lives to make their lives better. And in making their lives better, it makes his life better. Until one day, he wakes up, and he is a new Phil in a new life. What do you do when you find yourself in the exile of Groundhog Day? Whether it's from coronavirus or some other cause, or whether it's just this life on earth, what do you do when you find yourself in a place where all is not as it is supposed to be, as it should be. You seek to make it better. Seek to be a blessing to those around you. Seek the made rightness, the Christ-likeness of what is around you. And in so doing, you will find yourself made right, made like Christ. Coronavirus and suffering are no more signs of God's displeasure with us than riches and health are signs of His pleasure. God's plan is not to give you a good job when you graduate college. It's not to give you the American dream. It's not even to send coronavirus to whip us into shape. God's plan is to give us Jesus. And for us, in turn, to, to look more like Jesus with each passing day and to seek everything around us to look more and more like Jesus. Until one day, we wake up and we find that all is back to the way it is supposed to be the way that it should be.